Good morning. Well, that's a wonderful sea of faces. Today we're taking from the book of Psalms, Psalm 72. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people, the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor, give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like the rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days, may the righteous flourish and the peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea, from river to river, to the ends of the earth. May the desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, and the poor, and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy, and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May the gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. May people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. May God add a blessing to the reading of his holy word. Thank you, Donna, for the reading. Um, let's just pray one more time as we begin the time of, of the message. Lord, we uh, just commit this time to you as we examine your word together, ask that you would speak, 
Lord, that, that uh, we come to you just acknowledging that we are hungry for a word from God. And I pray that, that uh, as I deliver this message, Lord, that my words would fall away and the word of God would, would remain in our hearts. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I hate to start with bad news, but um, does anybody else feel like the world is in a mess right now? Like it just feels like things are kind of more and more out of control. Uh, maybe it's just me, but uh, it just feels like, like, I don't know, things just are crazier than they've been. I mean, we're just now getting over this pandemic, which obviously had the world uh, in, in a mess in and of itself. And now, you know, we've got this, um, well, even as we think we're getting over the pandemic, now there's new variants and, you know, these monkey pox and all these other things that seem to be popping up. <clears throat> the economy, you know, every day we're hearing in the news about inflation and prices are going up and the economy seems to be on the rocks and, and um, this war in Ukraine, you know, we all were hoping would end quickly and it just keeps dragging on. And, and now, you know, lately China seems to be kind of getting in the news and potentially being a problem. Um, you know, we're in this, I don't know about the rest of you, but my grass is brown. We're in this drought, right? There's this, everything is so dry. We get these little sprinkles of rain, and and uh, so I don't. It just, everywhere I look, it's like it feels like it feels like the world is falling apart. Um, but there's something, you know, that goes beyond the problems of the world, like that are in the news. Um, and that, and I think that we all know that there is something that's deeply wrong with our world. There is a brokenness in our world that even when we're not having the, you know, the, the climate problems and the war problems, we still have these problems in our own hearts, right? Of anger and, and broken relationships and um, just so many things that we know are deeply wrong. And we have this longing, I believe we all have a longing for a better world, right? Somehow deep inside we know that things are supposed to be better than they are. And so we have this longing, this deep sense that somewhere out there, that there is a world that is as it should be. And so we come to Psalm 72 and it's, and it's this beautiful declaration that there is a, a kingdom, that there is a king that rules with justice, that cares for the needy, and that there is a coming kingdom that is, that is right, that is not marked by all the problems and brokenness of the world that we know. Um, Psalm 72, it expresses the longing and the promise of the kingdom of God. I believe, um, and it promises the coming of a king, and we know that that king 
is Jesus. So Psalm 72 really tells us about, it doesn't mention the name of Jesus because it was written, we know at least several hundred years, if not close to a thousand years before the, the time of Jesus. But nevertheless, it is a prophetic psalm that tells us about this Jesus who is to come, this, this king, this son of David who will come and one day reign. And it tells us, it actually tells us many things. I'm only going to focus on three things because we only have so much time. But, but, but Psalm 72 promises us that this coming king is a good king who cares about the poor and the needy and who will rule with justice. A king who cares about the poor and needy and rules and will rule with justice. It also tells us that he will be an all-powerful king, that he will be the king of kings, that all other kings will come and bow before him, and that in his power he will be able to accomplish all that he desires. And finally, it tells us that this coming king will rule forever. That he's not just another man, not, not just a good king among other good kings that the world has known, but this is a king who will, will live and reign and rule forever and ever. So let's just take these three points um, one at a time here. Um, the coming king will care for the poor and the needy. Um, this is something that is repeated throughout the psalm. I'll just go through these verses for you. Verse 2 says, May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Notice how in the beginning of the psalm, it's, a, it's actually a prayer. And then as we move further into it, it's this declaration. So in the, in the beginning, we get this may uh, language. Um, but then later on, it gets to more declarative. Um, Verse four, may he defend the cause of the poor of the people and give deliverance to the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. Then we jump down to verses 12 through 14. Um, this comes, becomes more of this declarative terminology. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy from oppression and violence. He redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. So this king is a lover of the poor and the oppressed. Those who the world has forgotten um, are, are a priority for this coming king. Um, Psalm 72 also emphasizes justice, that this king will bring real and true justice. Um, you know, the world is not fair, right? It's almost, it's just a, an axiom of truth that the world is not fair. There is no justice in the world. And even though we know it should be, um, we all have this sense that life should be fair. And when we see injustice, it, it brings up this sense of outrage, a sense of, of indignation. Um, this is, I, I think this is one of the arguments for the truth of, of the gospel, the truth of Christianity. Um, because, you know, this, this concept of justice, it, does not, it doesn't come from nature, right? This is not part of evolution, right? I'm not saying that evolution is wrong. I'm just saying that, that our sense of justice, our recognition that the, that the poor and the needy should be protected 
that comes from the teaching of the Bible, right? We don't find that in nature. In nature, the strong always dominate the weak, right? The strong devour the weak. That's normal. That's what's expected. That's just the way it works. Um, that is the, you know, the, the law of, um, what's it called? Um, the law of natural selection, right? The law of natural selection, that the, the weak die and the strong get stronger, right? But we know that that's not right, right? In our hearts, when we see the weak oppressed and crushed, something rises up in us that says, this is not, this is not the way it should be. This is not the world that God created, that God intended to be. Um, so this coming king, Psalm 72 promises us that he will rule with justice. And what's amazing about this is that Jesus is the one who suffered the greatest mistrial in the history of the world, is the one who will one day rule with justice. Isn't that an amazing thought? Jesus, who was tried and convicted and hung on a cross like a common criminal for having done nothing wrong whatsoever, in fact, done the exact opposite, right? Who had come to bless, to heal, to feed, to provide, to protect. He was convicted of a, of a crime that he did not commit and ultimately executed for it. And this Jesus will one day be the, the fair and just ruler overall, the one who understands injustice, but who also loves justice, will be our, will be our king. It's a great promise as we look at the, the injustices around us that, that, we, that Jesus in his kingdom will rule with, with true and pure justice. Um, have you ever been accused of doing something that you didn't do? Do you know what it's like to be unfairly accused? I, I think most of us have. It's a terrible feeling, right? Somebody's saying you did something and you know you didn't do it. And all you can say is it's just not true, but, but they're convinced. Um, Jesus knows the truth. You know, we hear stories of, of people who are convicted of crimes and spend years and years in jail. And then, you know, DNA evidence or some new um, um, witness comes to the surface and says, you know, proves this person actually was innocent. And here they've served 20 years in jail or 30 years in jail or whatever. And in fact, they were innocent. Um, when we hear that, doesn't it just make you cringe? Doesn't it just make you feel like, how can that happen? How can that happen? And yet it does over and over again. So this is this promise that, that this, the coming king, that this kingdom that is coming will be a place where justice will prevail. Um, it's an amazing promise. It's a very comforting promise. And Jesus, who, who suffered the greatest injustice, will be the one who delivers um, true justice for all of us. Um, the third point is... Um, I'm sorry, the second thing is that, that this coming king will be a powerful king, that he will be the king of kings, the most powerful king. Um, verses 8 through 11 talk about this. It says, um, May he have dominion from sea to sea 
and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. So this psalm promises us and looks forward to this coming kingdom where this this good and faithful and just king will rule the world, right? That all all the earthly kings, all the kings who are not just and are not looking out for the poor and needy will be subservient to this great king. It's an amazing hope for us. That, uh, that, that this is the promise of the Bible. Um, it's rare that we have this, you know, this combination of, of, love for the, uh, of, of love for the needy, care for the needy, and power at the same time, right? When we look around the world, um, the powerful don't typically use their power to care for the needy. The powerful tend to use their power, their wealth, their influence for their own advancement, their own benefits. And yet, um, this king that Psalm 72 promises us is a king who uses his power to care for for those who have no power. Um, It's a great promise. It's a great promise. Um, Third thing we're told about is that this coming king will rule forever. There's not going to be just some limited amount of time where, where we're going to have this, this good situation and then it will fall and some other evil emperor will rise up. But we have the promise that in this coming kingdom, um, it will last until eternity. Um, several allusions throughout this psalm that talk about um, eternity and actually ultimately tell us that this coming king is, is not just a man, but in fact is God himself. Um, verse 5 says, um, May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. All right, this is a king that will last forever. It's not a king, a king who will um, live a normal man's span of life. Verse 7, in his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. Okay, until the moon be no more. Verse 8 talks about ruling over the entire earth. Um, May he have dominion from sea to sea, from the the river to the ends of the earth. It's not just a, a, a king, a man who will have a reign over a certain territory, but this is the Lord of the earth. This is the the king of all kingdoms. Um, Verse 11 talks about other kings falling down before him. And then verse verse 17 says, may his name endure forever and his fame continue as long as the sun. So we have these great promises about this king, and, and I think there's a temptation to say, well, it's easy to make all these promises, right? Easy to make all these promises, but you know, can we really bank on this? Um, is this just you know, fairy tales about a, about a good king who comes to help the poor and the needy? 
And I, I testify to you today that we can, we can trust in these promises because God has kept his promises in the past. And so we can trust in the promises that he has given us for the future. And we see even in this psalm, we're, we're reminded of that. Um, I wanted to do a little bit of a background, biblical background for you, uh, just to, to frame this a little bit. But there are two great promises in the Old Testament, um, two what we call covenants of promise. One is with, that God made with Abraham, and the other one is one, one that God made with David. Um, Abraham, um, as you may know, um, we start hearing about Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12. So this is the, the very beginning of the Bible and the, and the story that God unfolds in the Bible. After the creation and the fall, you know, where Adam and Eve sinned and they were, they were expelled from the garden in this perfect, this paradise with God. We get to Genesis chapter 12 and God makes this promise to Abraham that essentially means that he is going to reverse the curse of the fall from the garden. In Genesis 12, God tells Abraham that through him and through his family, he, or that he is going to give to Abraham a great nation. He is going to give that nation a land to live in and that he is going to bless them. So when we, when we think about the Abrahamic covenant, we think of these three things, a people, a land, and a blessing, okay? And that really, if you think about those things, well, let me back up a little bit. The, the, the significance of this blessing it's not just that God would do nice things for them, but as we read through the Bible, what becomes clear is the blessing that God promised to Abraham is his very presence, that God himself would be with Abraham and his people. And so these, this theme of the people, the land, and the presence of God, the blessing of the presence of God with his people is what they had lost in the garden. And God promised Abraham that he was going to restore that, that his, his, his promise of what he would unfold in history would be creating a new people that he is taking to a new land where he would dwell with them in the same way that he had dwelled with Adam and Eve in the garden. <clears throat> so that's the Abrahamic promise. And I, and I would propose to you that the whole rest of the Bible, that when you start in Genesis chapter 12, the entire rest of the Bible is describing to us how God fulfilled those three promises. How God created that people, how God took them to a land, and how God blessed them with his presence. And it's fulfilled in a, in a temporary way with the people of Israel <clears throat> in the land of Palestine, with God's presence with them there in the temple. And it's fulfilled ultimately with the, the kingdom of God gathering in all believers in Jesus that he is taking to the new heavens and the new earth, this new kingdom where God's presence will be with us and he will reign over his people forever. So this, this promise of people, land, and blessing is the undercurrent throughout the whole Bible fulfilled ultimately in the, in the end, in Revelation, when we hear about the, the coming of, 
of Jesus for the second time and the establishing of this new heavens and the new earth. There's an allusion to that in Psalm 12. The psalmist wants to remind us of this promise that God gave to Abraham. The other, the other promise, uh, the other covenant of promise that we have in the Old Testament is um, the covenant with David and what, and what we consider the Davidic promise. And that is a promise, it's actually a little bit more to it, but I won't go into it, but the, the heart of that promise is that, that a son of David would rule forever over God's people. And, and as we go through the history of the Bible there, again, we see that there are sons of David that rule, but ultimately there comes a time where there is no son of David on the throne. And so the people of God are looking, where is the son of David that God promised? And, um, and we know that when Jesus comes, that he is the fulfillment of that promise. Now, Psalm 72 reminds us of both of those promises. It's a, it is a Psalm of David, we are told. Um, and, all, and these promises of this king that will live forever are, are a fulfillment of this promise that God gave to, to David. But it also alludes to um, Abraham and all this um, blessing terminology of, at, the, at the end of the psalm. Um, in verse 17, the, the, uh, the second half of, of uh, verse 17, it says, May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. The promise to Abraham was that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. And so the, the language is almost identical to what the psalmist is saying here. And so he's reminding us that as this, when this king comes, when this kingdom comes, that he will be fulfilling the, um, this promise, the promise to Abraham. So a little Bible quiz here for you. Uh, most of us know, if I asked you what the first verse of the Bible is, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, how many of you could tell me what it says? Right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Most of us know that. What about the beginning of the New Testament? Matthew 1, 1. How many of you know that one? It goes like this, Matthew chapter one, verse one, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The son of David, the son of Abraham. The very first thing that the New Testament wants us to know about Jesus is that he is the son of David and the son of Abraham. And what that is telling us is that God keeps his promises. That these promises that God had made 2,000 years ago to Abraham and 1,000 years earlier to David are being fulfilled in this coming of Jesus into the world. He is the one that was promised. So these promises that we get in Psalm 72 are not just fairy tale promises. They are, they are built on the faithfulness of God to keep his promises. That God has fulfilled his promises in the past, and therefore we can bank on the fact 
that he is going to keep his promises for the future. Jesus is the son of David who will sit on that throne forever. Jesus is the son of Abraham, the seed of Abraham, who will, through whom all the families of the earth will be blessed. This Jesus who came once to suffer and die and to save his people from sin and death will come again to consummate the kingdom. When Jesus came the first time, do you remember how he summarized his whole ministry? The first words that came out of his mouth when we read in some of the gospels, not all of them, but when Jesus, when it tells us that he began his ministry, his message was the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of God has come. And why had the kingdom come? Because the king had come, right? We know that the kingdom has not yet come in its fullness, that Jesus is coming again, where he will overthrow all the evil rulers of the world, where he will finally crush sin and death. But when Jesus came the first time, he ushered in the kingdom. And he, and he invited people to join him in that kingdom. And he continues to this day to invite us into his kingdom. We who are the body of Christ, we are the, are the citizens of the kingdom of God on earth today. Um, what Psalm 72 tells us is, there's a couple of practical things I think we should take away from it. One is that where the kingdom is, where this king reigns, um, there is care for the poor and the needy, and there is justice for the oppressed. So if the church is the expression of the kingdom of God now, then where the church is, we should see those things. We should see care for the needy, care for the poor. We should see striving for justice for those who are oppressed. Um, I'm proud to say that this church does do things to care for the needy. We, you know, one of the things we do is we serve at, at LifeBridge, um, caring for the, some of the neediest in our community. Um, that's a wonderful thing. And um, I'm proud to say, to know that our church is part of that. Um, this church supports a ministry called Amira, uh, which some of you know is a, is a ministry to women who are um, abused, provides a safe haven for, um, for, uh, for the oppressed, for people who have been treated unfairly and unjustly. Um, so we get to participate in that by supporting that, that ministry. Um, so we should continue as a church to look for ways to be an expression of the kingdom by reaching out to the poor and the needy. Another, just, and I don't want to go too far into this, um, but another thing that I just, I think a takeaway for me from this psalm is that we have to be careful about where we put our hope. Um, you know, the, we have, this psalm tells us to put our hope in this coming king and in this kingdom of God that is being established. There is, I'm going to talk politics a little bit here, and so I'm going to tread easily. Uh, but there is, when I look, when you look at church history, there is a tendency for the church to try to impact the world through political power. 
We see it from early centuries. And I think that most church historians would agree that, that the beginning of the downfall of the church was in the fourth century when, the, when a Roman emperor named Constantine became a Christian, or at least declared that he'd become a Christian, and, de- and then declared Christianity to be the official religion of the Roman Empire. And it was his effort, I think, to expand the kingdom. But the kingdom of God never truly grows by politically forcing people to trust God and to believe in Jesus. The power of the church is not political power. The power of the church is the power of God to change hearts. That's the greatest miracle of all. Is that, the, is that God himself comes into a human heart and he transforms a heart of stone into a heart of flesh, right? A heart that's filled with hatred and anger and all these sinful things and transforms it into a heart that loves God, that loves goodness, that loves righteousness. That's the greatest miracle of all. And that's the power of the church. That is the power that the church wields is the, is the proclamation of, of the power of God to change human hearts. So, so one of my takeaways from, the, from Psalm 72 is we need to be careful where we put our hope. Uh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be, you know, politically involved. You know, we live in a, in a democracy. We have the privilege of voting and we should try to put people in power who we believe can do the most good. So absolutely do that. But political power, governments are made up of fallen human beings and they will always disappoint us. They will always fail. You know, I love, you know, it's it's funny actually to watch campaigns and to listen to all the promises that are made. It's just, you know, you you have to just say, who really believes all this stuff when people are, are talking about how they're going to turn the world into the kingdom of God by their political changes? But my point is, um, I'm not saying stay out of politics, but our trust is in God. Our trust is in the kingdom of God. That's where our hope is. That's where we, where we want to invest our lives and our energies. Um, Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Okay, there's all sorts of powerful things out there in the world, but none is as powerful as the name of the Lord our God. And finally, just one thing I want to, the last thing I want to bring out is this king that is coming is a person, right? When we talk about the longings of our hearts, the longings for justice, the, long for, the longings for a world where the poor and the needy are cared for. We're not just longing for a system, right? We're not just longing for a, a system that is fair and, and for um, things to be established that are right. We have, we have a longing in our heart to be reconnected to the God who created us. Um, we have a longing to be connected to our Father. God calls himself our Father because we are his children. 
We were created to be in relationship with him. And, and no matter what injustices or evils of the world are fixed, until our relationship with God is restored, our longings are still not satisfied. We still have this hole in our heart. But Psalm 72 and the gospel itself tells us that the kingdom of God is about restoring that relationship. Jesus came and he said, the kingdom of God has come. And then he, he lived a perfect life and he died upon the cross to, to take our sins, to pay the price for our sins, to restore us to that broken relationship with God. And the promise that we have today is that through Christ, that we can live in fellowship with God. And he invites us into that. Um, Jesus invites us to be in his kingdom, to be part of his kingdom, to know him not only as our king, but as our father, our brother, our friend. There's all sorts of biblical analogies that, that are used to describe this, this personal relationship that we are invited into. So that's the good news of Psalm 72, is that even though the world is a mess, the world is, we can be discouraged by all the problems that we see around us, God is in control. God is moving us forward. God is establishing his kingdom and he will one day bring the fullness of his kingdom um, through Jesus into this world. When the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, one of the things he said was, thy kingdom come. So let's pray together for the coming of God's kingdom. Lord, we thank you um, for Psalm 72. We thank you for your word. We thank you for all the promises that we have um, from scripture that tell us of, of the work you are doing and will do to bring about true justice, true compassion, um, a world in which there are no more tears, no more crying, no more pain. Lord, that is our hope. That is what we cling to. And we thank you that you give us those promises. Um, Teach us to walk in hope. Teach us to walk in, um, yeah, just confidence in your goodness as you promise that you will bring your kingdom. We pray that your kingdom will come. In Jesus' name, amen.